0: With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible.
1: All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Our Stories, the KC Sports Network podcast telling the stories of the women in sports in Kansas City. I'm Maria Campbell, and we're extremely lucky to have uh, today's guest not just on the show, but in Kansas City as a staple of the sports community here. I'm, of course, talking about Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, Brenda Van Langen. Uh, you can hear on the call Big 12 Women's Hoops on Fox Sports and ESPN. Brenda, so much to talk to you about, but first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's always good talking with you.
1: I'm so excited, and and I want to ask you a lot about your career, because I, I love the story of how you got into broadcasting. But uh, first, I wanted to start with something that actually connected us both uh, man, it was a year and a half ago now, maybe, which is, um, you know, I was working on a on a Title IX interview series at the time and a mutual friend of ours says, hey, you need to talk to the subject matter expert who's a friend of Van Langen. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about if not for them uh, and kind of what folks can expect out of the project you're working on?
2: Sure, it's a a documentary series, a a 10-episode series that we are currently working on that's really the origin story of college women's basketball. It's uh, the stories of those that built the foundation for college women's basketball before the NCAA. You know, we're in the 50th anniversary of Title IX, but it's the 40th anniversary of the NCAA, so I really wanted to dive in what happened in those 10 years and what happened in the decades before that leading up to it. And so it's just been a matter of, um, people will, will hear stories they've never heard before about, um, women's basketball teams that were flying around the country and going competing in international tournaments in the 1950s and 60s before there was college basketball. Those that became leaders and helped us when the NCAA wasn't interested in women's sports and formed their own organization and battled for Title IX. And so it'll be some of the historical perspective, but also some of the human interest stories of some of those people that did it. And, um, People can learn more. It's, uh, we've got a great website, ifnotforthem.com. We've got a promo video. We have pictures of uh, all the people that we've been interviewing, stories of many of those. And uh, it's just, um, if you're interested in, in sports, women's sports, women's basketball, any of the above, women's rights, any of those, we're going to hit some touch points with you with what we're doing with this docu-series.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I could. This is like the best. I cannot wait for the series. This is my niche interest. I mean, I have so much passion about this topic. So um, but first, I just wanted to start with um, if you could talk a little bit about the that year gap you're talking about from was it 72 to 82. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I played Division one basketball myself and I didn't know about this until my playing career was almost over. I, I think a lot of people don't know this history. We could talk about this forever, but maybe like a a layman's summary of of how that came to be.
2: Well, because of some women having opportunities around the country in, in AAU basketball in the 50s and 60s, there was kind of this groundswell across the country in certain areas that women were ready to compete in college sports and to have a national championship. And so the group of women that were really the physical education instructors and leaders went to the NCAA to, said, to say, we'd like to start having championships for women's sports, but we need an infrastructure, and would the NCAA be interested in sponsoring? And the answer was, no. We're an institution for men, by men, and we're not interested. And so the women were left to really developing their own organization from the ground up, and they had to do all the rules, the, the governance structure, the championship um, formats, all of that stuff. And they built their own um, their own organization called the AIAW. They, they tested out women's basketball championships in the three years leading up, 69, 70, 71 and they had three championships then. And then they had the first AIAW National Championship in 72. And so during that time, uh, colleges across the country started women's sports programs. Women's basketball was really a leader in that. And they grew and grew. They had the first Final Four where just four went to a site uh, in 1978. It was at UCLA and they won the championship, which was the first big school to win a championship. And they grew in such a way that it caught the attention of the NCAA and they, they changed their mind. And they decided that they wanted women's sports under their umbrella. And then there was a big fight. Um, There were some women that didn't want that at all and fought for the AIAW. And there were some women that thought it was the best way to go. So there was a lot of tension. And my docuseries will kind of capture a lot of that tension that happened. And then in 1982, there were two national championships, an AIAW championship and an NCAA championship. And then the AIAW had to fold and it all went under NCAA after that.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's so fascinating. Cause I, I think I knew title nine passed in 72 most of my life, but I, I, I think like many, maybe some people listening thought the flip kind of the switch kind of flipped and you know, the NCAA was forced to adopt uh women's sports. We obviously know that's not the case right now. Um, well, I, and, what and some, you, sorry.
2: I was just going to mention just based on yeah. that, because I really didn't even mention title nine in that, in that orc, that story arc right there, sure. but not only was the NCAA not interested, they fought against Title IX. They spent over a million dollars to fight against Title IX because of what they thought it would do to men's sports and diminishing that. And so, you know, not only were they not interested in supporting women, but they fought, they fought against Title IX during that time.
1: Yeah, I think the my one of the quotes that I will never forget from that time period was the then executive director of the NCAA calling Title IX uh, the potential doom of intercollegiate athletics which aged very badly. Obviously, you know, women's sports are <laughs> right, such a yeah. staple of the NCAA right now. Um, right. So over the course of your series, I guess, can you point out a few, you know, maybe highlights, maybe fun stories that you've you've learned over the last couple, uh, couple of months, couple years.
2: Yeah, it's uh, gosh, there are so many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, the, the flying Queens of uh, Wayland Baptist in uh, Plainview, Texas, They were called the Flying Queens because their uh, sponsor of their program, Claude Hutcherson, had four uh, little uh, airplanes, four uh, barren four-seater airplanes that he flew the team all over the country and sometimes to Mexico to international competition. And they learned, uh, they were snowed in in a, a, a hotel one time in Kansas City in the same hotel as the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, they learned a, a lot of their basketball tricks from them. And uh, at the beginning of every game, they would do a routine like the Harlem Globetrotters did. And they were known all over the country for the fact that they flew across the country. They they did all these great basketball tricks. And they won 131 games in a row um, and won uh three or four straight championships, I believe. I, ha- I have to go back to my my sheet, but uh, 131 games in a row. And then their biggest rival was Nashville Business College. And an interesting thing about that is it, a business, it was a business college in that people could go to school there to learn secretarial and other skills, but they also sponsored a team. So the players there didn't have to go to college. They just, some of them worked at the college and were uh, than able to play on their team. So those women never aged out. Where uh, Wayland had a four-year college and, they, and Nashville Business College, it was like a professional team. They just kept playing and playing. And so they dominated in the 60s and ended up winning eight straight championships in the 1960s. And the Flying Queens were always right there, but weren't able to knock them off. And so those two programs, along with different AAU programs across the country, really set the stage for elite level uh, and competitive level uh, basketball that then merged into the college scene. And um, there, are, there are a lot of stories across the country. I've been able to interview people from Southern California, from the Northeast, from the South, Midwest. And uh, there's just some um really remarkable stories that I, uh, I'm i excited to share with people through this docu-series.
1: Yeah, that's a great segue into my next question, which is, can you talk a little bit more about the uh, title, If Not For Them, where that came from and, and the meaning kind of that has?
2: Well, uh, I came up with the idea for the project a couple of years ago, talking to Marsha Sharp, the legendary coach at Texas Tech, about how many of the women's basketball coaches are either retiring or like Pat Summit and Kay Yao, some had passed away too soon, and there were just there are stories that we need to make sure that we preserve. And so the working title, at first was wisdom or you know legendary legends, things like that. And I just really got to thinking about you know if it if if it hadn't been for these women and men that fought the battles, changed cultural norms, broke down barriers, we wouldn't have what we do today. And so I'm like if not for them, if not for them, we wouldn't have what we do today. And uh, that's, that's how the the title came about. We worked with, um, you know, a graphic designer to design a logo, build a website. Uh, And so we had this great website at ifnotforthem.com and, you know, we're, we're, putting pictures up of a lot of the people that we're interviewing along the way and telling some of those stories just to give people a taste of what it's about. But there's a lot more to be revealed in the in the
1: docu-series. Well, the title is perfect. Uh, and I think I've said I can't wait like five times on this podcast, but I'll keep saying it because I'm very much looking forward to it. I know you talked to legendary coach Marion Washington, who was, of course, at Kansas for a very long time. Her story is incredible. Um, now, I want to get a little bit more into, you talked a little bit about how you came up with the idea, but Personally, what got you into um, basketball in general and um, storytelling? And can you talk a little bit about your, your career to where you are right now? That's a loaded question. A yeah, that's a loaded <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, Tell I, me about I, your career. Right. Let's see,
2: how much time do you have?
3: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh,
2: you know, I grew up in a, in a small town in Nebraska, and fortunately for me, two things. My dad was a coach, so I got involved and was encouraged with sports from a young age. Uh, And I also was seven years old when Title IX passed. So by the time I got to high school, we had a basketball program. We had sports programs, and it was very popular in our school. I went on to play basketball in college. I got a partial scholarship uh, to go play. It was called Kearney State College at the time. Now it's the University of Nebraska-Kearney. Go Lopers. Uh, And had a great experience and decided that even though I planned to be a high school teacher and coach, that I loved my experience playing Uh, at the collegiate level that I wanted to coach or be involved at that level. So I coached at the University of Nebraska for five years. And then I got, when I got out, I went to uh, Nebraska Public Television and I said, you know, I don't have a broadcast journalism degree, but um, you, you do three games per year. You broadcast three games per year. I, I, don't have a degree, but I I know the team, I know the players, the strategies, I love to talk. Would you give me a chance? And that's how I had my entree into sports broadcasting. And about three years later, um, I I had moved down to the Kansas City area and went to a Kansas-Kansas State game and walked in the the back door uh, uh, because there was a big line out front. And uh, the sports information person said, oh, good, you're here. Uh, Fox Sports is doing a national uh, telecast today, broadcast today, and one of the announcers didn't show up. Would you do the broadcast? (laughs) And so I had like three years of doing about three or four games per year, and I was waiting for my – big break. And I walked into Allen Fieldhouse and got it. And with like 20 minutes notice, I had my national television debut. And as they say, the rest is history. I was on Fox Sports for a number of years on the Big 12 package. I got introduced to ESPN. I've uh, That's my main gig now is with ESPN. I also broadcast games with Big Ten Network, SEC Network, et cetera. But uh, this is my 28th year of broadcasting women's basketball on TV.
1: I tell that story all the time, by the way, and I think about it kind of a lot, just because you never know when when your big shot is. That is just insane that you just walk in and you're on national television that day. I imagine you didn't think that was going to happen.
2: I did not. And and you never know is one of my favorite lines. You never know what opportunity awaits. You never know who you're going to be meeting or who's listening or um, whose path you might cross. And. You know, my best advice is be ready. Be ready yeah. at all times to put your best foot forward.
1: And clearly, you were ready that day, or you wouldn't be. Uh, wouldn't be here today. Um, yeah. But if I hadn't done well, if I hadn't done well, exactly, <laughs> that might have been the end of it, right? There. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what's uh, what's kept you in the profession for for twenty eight years now? What's kind of been you know, where's the passion behind this job?
2: I absolutely um, love. The opportunity to advocate for women in sports—it's uh, been such an important thing in my life. Uh, it's opened so many doors for me. Uh, playing basketball in college, coaching at the college level, being a broadcaster—and um, I think I, I just think it's so important to tell the stories of the young women that are competing in sports. Also, have a somebody that's uh, very passionate about it and hopefully knowledgeable about it to break down the X's and O's and really explain what's happening on the court so that there's a real, um, there's a real understanding of what these women are going through to be able to do the things that they do athletically, strategically, and things like that. And, you know, I've just been so, so blessed. I get to be courtside at some of the best games uh, around the country every year. And I've gotten to work in the truck for, uh, Double-digit number of Final Fours, uh, doing some telestrator stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I've called Division Two national championship games. I've I've called games at the World University Games in Kazan, Russia, about ten years ago. I've just I've been able to travel the world and and promote and advocate for uh, women's sports, specifically women's basketball, but I've done a, a lot of other sports as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the growth of women's basketball over the last, you know, almost 30 years now has just been over the last five years. I mean, it's just been exponential, I guess. What have you seen uh, from the beginning of your career? You know, as you head into your 28th season.
2: Well, a lot of people ask if I have a broadcast journalism degree and I said, no, when I was in college, there weren't any women sports on television. So that would have been either incredibly visionary or kind of stupid. You know, so <laughs> like, what are you planning on doing with your right? Those right. You? And uh, and so the fact I had an education degree, I I was trained to be a high school business teacher, and so uh, you know it, it fit well with my knowledge and love of sports. And at that time, in the mid '90s. Um, Nebraska Public Television was broadcasting three games per year, uh, and I and they were ahead of a lot of uh, schools around the country. And I think what happened was in the late '90s and early 2000s, a lot of conferences really stepped up. And they and when they were making their deals with the networks, they said, if you're going to broadcast our football games and our men's basketball, you have to agree to broadcast so many women's basketball games, volleyball, soccer, softball, et cetera. And so I think this, the conferences really did a great job of kind of leading the way to make sure that women's basketball, women's sports got on television by the way they packaged those television deals. And, and that's really what grew the sport. And then you know, during that time, over the last 25 years, you know, there, there have been the addition of so many more sports channels. And then, of course, so many streaming platforms. And so there is a need for content, good content, sports content. And so that those are the opportunities for women's sports to be there and to be seen, because there are a lot of platforms uh, through which those can be broadcast. And, you know, I think, a couple of things, you know, it, it's just because of the quality of, um, the athletes, the teams, the sports improving, uh, they have been recognized more. The television ratings are, are up higher than they ever have been. Uh, fan support, uh, continues to, to grow and continues to, you know, be impressive in many places around the country, country, not everywhere, but in many places across the country. And, um, and that whole situation with the women's final four a couple of years ago, when the you know it came out on social media that the women's weight room was a couple of dumbbells and the men's was this huge ballroom full of strength equipment, it really shone a light on the inequities between men's and women's sports. And a cat and a report called the Kaplan report was done, which dove into how uh, sports are valued and what they found out is and what a lot of us have known for a really long time that. Uh, at the NCAA, women's basketball uh, and all the women's sports are kind of piled in with all the other sports and just valued as a package. And never at any time has anybody said, hey, let's let's go out and try to market and promote women's basketball on its own. So they've been undervaluing it. They can they can point to "Well, it's not making money or it's not whatever. But they haven't even tried to make money uh, for women's basketball. And, and they've just lumped it in with everything else that's not men's basketball. And so I, I think that there's a real awareness right now that there's an opportunity to invest in women's sports, uh, because as you and I know, you got your current mood t-shirt on. Uh, people are willing to invest in women's sports right now. In Kansas City, we're building a, a women's specific soccer stadium. People yeah. are willing to invest, and it's, it's time. And we've really seen that growth over the last really 25 plus years that I've,
3: I've been in broadcasting. Hey, sorry to interrupt today's podcast, but I have to tell you about a couple of our sponsors. First one being Liquid Death. You've heard us talk about this company all the time here on Kansas City Sports Network. Here at KCSN, we love Liquid Death. And when I'm looking through the bottled water section of my local store and I say, oh, what are those strange tall boys up there? I know it's Liquid Death. And you might look at it and be like, wait, what is that up there? Kind of rad looking cans. It's Liquid Death. And it's spring water from the Alps. It's not beer. And it is called liquid. Death, yeah, that name jumps off the can, the the can design, everything. I would show you a can, but I don't have one because I've drank all of them. I've drank everything that they've given me at Liquid Death because it's so delicious because it absolutely murders your thirst. That's why it's called Liquid Death. It murders your thirst. And not only does it murder your thirst, but it brings death to plastic bottles. I hate plastic pollution. You hate plastic pollution. They're infinitely recyclable, tall boy, aluminum cans. Help bring death to that as well, that pollution. And they donate 10% of their profits to uh, help kill plastic pollution. Another good thing about the folks over at Liquid Death. And let me tell you, they've got, uh, I believe, four different flavors that you can get. Uh, No, five if you talk about their uh, flavored sparkling waters. They've got a berry. They've got a mango. They've got a lime. All of them are very good. As a guy who drinks sparkling water myself, love the Liquid Death versions of them. Make sure you go check those out. They have just a still spark a still water, which is the water from the Alps. Kind of weird to be drinking out of a can. But it feels good to be drinking out of a can because you're doing you're doing good for the environment. And they also have just a regular sparkling water if you want to add it to your add it to your uh, mixed drinks, maybe. Have it be a little bit of a, of a beverage mixer you could have there with your liquid death. But they've got all kinds of things, and you can go find it at your local Woodman's 7-Eleven Roundies or High V. Or here's what you can do. You can go and find a liquid death retailer near you using uh, code KCSN. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Go to that website, find a liquid death retailer near you. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. And
1: it's been so fun to be in Kansas City during this time because we have the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which I think again kind of just brought that conversation back up. Um, and with the current groundbreaking, you know, last week was It's just been really exciting. But I wanted to talk about one thing you just talked about, which is um, the importance, I guess, of exposure in terms of growing the sport. So I wrote my master's thesis on how important it is to promote uh, women's basketball on social media. And basically, I looked at the Mountain West Conference and the attendance gap is even wider than the national average, which is already significant. So I looked at social media's role in that. And essentially what I found was that the Mountain West athletic departments were tweeting about men like two to one. Um, So no wonder we're going to have an attendance gap when you're promoting men at a double rate than you are women. Um, So it's kind of that I describe it as like the chicken or the egg cycle. Like you hear of, you know, we're 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 promoting men more because people care more about men's sports. Well, they don't know about women's sports as much because you're not promoting them ever. Mm-hmm. So how, are, yeah. So um,
2: yeah I mean, yeah. that came up when um, I, I, that's been going on for a long time and, and I'm yeah. glad that there's more research being done. I'm glad you did your master's thesis on it. When I coached at the university of Nebraska in the early nineties, I, we had three coaches and two grad assistants and my job or one of my jobs as a grad assistant was to do the promotions and marketing for our women's basketball program there was an entire marketing department for the men's football team that had sold out for, you know, at the time, 25 years in a row, every single game. So why do you need to also put money toward that and not put any money toward a sport that needs to be lifted up, needs to be advocated for, needs to be uh, people to be educated about it, for people to know the players' names, to know their voices, to know their stories, all of those things. And it's just, it, it's part of goes back to what I was telling you about the whole, the NCAA wasn't interested in women's sports. And then they took over and really from the early eighties, when women have been involved in the NCAA, they've been treated as less than, and they, the resources have not been put toward uh, the women's sports as much as they have the men. And, and, you know, like you said, the argument comes, well, people aren't interested. Well, (laughs) <laughs> How do they become interested Yeah, become right. interested by promoting them and marketing them? And uh, social media does provide an opportunity. It's free advertising to get out and do more uh, and, and put more information out there. And and still there's the battle of not not as much. It's just, not not yeah. as much. Time, attention, resources, energy, things like that. And that's when people ask me about, well, what can we do better? It's the mindset of the administrators at schools at the college level to put the resources toward promoting, marketing, advocating for their women's sports programs. It will grow exponentially as, as resources are continually invested in it.
1: Well, and we've seen that happen, right? I mean, think about the college softball series and yeah. um, you know, the women's final four numbers were really, really good this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been, my master's thesis put a big light on that for me because I, I narrowed it down to, I don't think it's necessarily always intentional, but if you go on autopilot and you don't focus on how are we supporting the women in our organization, you know, this, it slips through the cracks and, and it's a title nine violation. I mean, there's a on the ncaa website it's publicity and promotion is um you know one of the components to title IX adherence so uh very passionate about that um and i think it's very cool that you're such a big part of telling stories can you talk a little bit about how how the individual stories of the athletes that you cover um i guess impacts you know the the popularity of the sport the growth of the sport uh for women
2: I, I think that's uh, that's always been the case for women's sports, in that and sports in general. When you get to know the players better, you are more likely to want to cheer them on and root for them and support them. I mean, look at how well we know uh, some of our our men's athletes and how how exposed that they are, you know and. And how much we love Patrick Mahomes because we see him all the time on commercials, on interviews, on all of these things. And we feel like we know him. And so we cheer for him and we support him. And there are so many great stories in women's sports, whether it's individuals on a team or a team itself or the coaches that coach the teams. But that's where I truly believe that, that just telling some of these stories allows for people to get to know these young athletes better. And when you know them better, you want to support them. You want to cheer them on. You're more likely to want to, to go to their games, watch them on television. And here, even in the Kansas City area, um, I went out and spoke to a group of, of uh, probably middle school and high school age Um, athletes, female athletes. There were probably 50 in the room that I was speaking to. And I asked them, how many of you have ever been to a Kansas City Chiefs game? Almost all of them had raised up their hands. A a Royals game. Uh, How about a Kansas City current game? And this was a year ago and nobody in the room had been to a Kansas City current game. And it was a a room full of female athletes. So what I want to say to parents is, Take your daughters and your sons to watch female athletes because they will grow and um, they will have their life enhanced (laughs) by seeing women in strong and powerful positions competing. And it will help both our boys and girls uh, have a healthier respect for, for women, for women athletes, and it will show our support. If you're willing to support and cheer for the Chiefs, and sporting KC and the Royals, then you should definitely also be cheering and supporting for Casey, the KC Casey Current and other women's college teams in our area.
1: Yeah, yeah, the KC Current Stadium too coming up and is it a 2024 season, I think? I know you have your season tickets already, right? Yes, yes, I do. Yep, yeah.
2: I'm ready, I'm ready, let's go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. The, the current games are an absolute blast and you got KU and K-State women's basketball were, were really, really good last year. I know, unfortunately, Ayoka Lee is going through. I think she tore something in her knee. So, but, you yeah, know, exactly next season getting, they're still super talented. And you got the the twins out of K-State. And there's just, there's so much exciting stuff in our area. And I'll say personally, I uh, grew up going to uh, Mid-America Nazarene camps, MNU camps. And that's actually why I decided I want to play college basketball, because I thought they were the coolest people in the universe, you know? And I started going <laughs> to camp and I was in like second grade and and yeah. basketball why i'm so passionate about this is basketball has introduced me to almost everyone that's super important to me in my life you know it, it launched awesome. me into my career and all those things so um i think a lot of times you think about the sport itself but for me it was it my life built around you know that foundation i had playing sports growing up so yeah um where do it. you think <laughs> yeah could, i'm gonna get up <laughs> on my leg <laughs> thank you for coming to my talk um where do you think we and we've talked about this a little bit but I think with the 50th anniversary of Title IX, there's this balance of celebrating how far we've come versus Mm -hmm. how far we have to go. Um, I guess, and and again, we have touched on this, but where would you like to see us go from here?
2: Well, I I do think it's important to know our history so that we appreciate where we've come from and how far we've come and the people that um, really built the foundation for what we have. And and it's harder for people that are into women's sports because there's not as much uh, information out there. There wasn't a lot of TV and media coverage. So you have to kind of dig into it. That's part of why I'm doing this documentary, If Not For Them. <laughs> there, I had to back up so you could actually see, <laughs> right. see my sweatshirt, right? I love that. Um, yep. I need to get one but, of those. If Not For Them.com. Yeah, <laughs> you do, Yeah. Sorry. If Not For Them.com. Yep. The, the, the merchandise is on there. Go to our store. Um, but, but yes, the, there has been increased uh, television coverage, increased media coverage overall, increased fan attendance, increased resources that have been put into the sports. But again, it's the really, well, whether you're, if, if you look at it from an administrative point of view at the colleges, really just making sure that the resources are being put toward um, elevating The programs equitably. If you're a fan, uh, if you're a fan of a college or of a sport, go and support the men's and women's programs, both. Um, All of those things uh, just take some intentional work. you know, back when everybody got their sports from the, their sports information from a newspaper, I would always say, you just, you have to work harder to be a women's sports fan because yeah. you usually have to dig to page seven at the bottom to find a, a, a where the schedules are or whatever. You still have to work harder uh, to, to be a women's sports fan. That's part of where we are right now. So my, my hope for the future and the growth is it doesn't have to be so hard to be a women's sports fan, that the information is readily available, that you can find it out there that if you want to go to a game, if you want to see a game on television, it's easy to find out. I, I work for ESPN and we uh, promote men's games on our women's basketball broadcast, even though we have the opportunity to promote our women's games on our women's basketball broadcast. And it's just like, let's be smart about this and intentional about how we grow the opportunities, the resources and and all of those things. I just, um, there are, there are definitely opportunities for growth. Young women that are involved today shouldn't stand for inequities and they should speak up and make sure that they are getting, um, the facilities, the, the uniforms, the travel arrangements that are uh, equal to their male counterpart counterparts. And, um, you know, that's I think that's the important some of the important things going forward.
1: Yeah, I think the word intentionality is is a really, really good one. Um, and on the social media point, I think that's also a really good tool because it it leads to accountability, like you saw with the weight room a, a couple of years ago for the final four. Um, and, and oh, you know, another point I wanted to get to too was when we were at the current game for the media game, Team Hartland, uh, were our coach. Yes. we won. Tucker was on our <laughs> team. BJ Kissel was on our team. Kent yes. Swanson, I don't think was, right? I think Kent was the loser. I, I... I hope he's listening to this. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, sorry, Kent. Uh, but at that game, one of my favorite things was seeing like the young girls with the, you know, scarves and things and like looking at looking getting to watch the game. And um, you know, we uh, growing up in Kansas City, we didn't have a women's professional sports That's team. Right. So what the current is doing right now, and our friend Danny Welniak with them, you know, working to uh to work with the communications and the promotion side of things is really, really cool. And I know there are some young girls there who want to be Brenda Van Langen when they grow up and to be on ESPN and to, to tell these stories and to get into media. So what would your advice be uh, to them?
2: Anything's possible. And uh, don't don't limit yourself. You can be a, a sports broadcaster. You can, they're in in any role, whether it's men's or women's sports, play-by-play or analyst or sideline reporter or any of those things are possible. Um, I think to to be a, an analyst in a sport or to be, you know, taken seriously or credibly um, in, in the studio, you have to have played or coached and so finding that career path. Uh, but there are many opportunities just for people that are interested in sports to be uh, hosts or play-by-play announcers or whatever. They're just – whether you could be a writer, you could be a producer, director behind the scenes, you can run a camera, you can run audio. Uh, there's so many opportunities in sports to be involved, whatever your personality is, whatever your interest is, um, all of it's all of it's available.
1: I, I have another question on that. And I think I might've asked you about this when I interviewed you a, a year plus ago, but um, you talk about being taken seriously have you ever run into any issues um, with being a woman in a, you know, historically male dominated field? Uh, I know you worked primarily in women's basketball. So, yeah. I
2: I haven't because of that, because I think when, especially in the early years um, I knew way more about women's basketball than anybody in the truck. And so they, they came to me for, you know, who are these people, and you know how should we cover it, and and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I, I was given respect because of my experience in playing and coaching in women's basketball. It it might have been different. I mean, I never was offered opportunities in men's basketball uh, until I went to the World University Games and I called some men's basketball games. So in that way, I guess maybe yeah, maybe I was overlooked for those things. But quite honestly, I wasn't interested in in announcing men's basketball. They they've got enough good people. I wanted a good a good person to be calling the women's game, somebody that was knowledgeable and passionate and cared and wanted to do a great job in women's sports. That's why I've stayed on the women's sports side to make sure that that I'm providing all of that on the women's side. I, I think it's great for women to want to also call men's sports as well. That's just not been my path and my passion. I want to make sure uh, that I'm lifting up and advocating for and elevating women's sports as much as possible. And it's, you know, it's just a huge passion of mine.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I said this at the top of the show, but we're very lucky, lucky to have you uh, for the sport. I mean, nationwide, but also in Kansas City. It's just it's really cool to have you located here. So um, before I let you go, I I like to close this podcast with the question, uh, if there's anything people take away from your story, what would you want that to be?
2: um before and before if that's the last question can i also get a plug in <laughs> i always say here's
1: the last question and then there's like five more <laughs>
2: <laughs> right right okay so here's
1: good.
2: a question yeah okay a question all right because I, I do have a couple more things i want to plug but cool yeah, um, yeah. as far as my story i think it's it, it doesn't matter where you came from it's where you're going uh because i went i graduated from a high school class of 21 Um, I grew up with no women's sports on television to speak of, to watch, uh, and I still was able to grow and make a now 28 years and counting uh, career in broadcasting women's sports across the country and across the world. So um, anything is possible. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes good relationships and connections with people, um, uh, valuing relationships and friendships, Uh, Because everybody you meet um, will have an opportunity to connect with people across your industry, across um, various parts of the sports world uh, as you grow throughout your career. So whatever you can take from from my story is, um, you know, anything is possible. And if you're willing to work toward it, treat people well, uh, work hard, be the best you can be at what you do, you never know. You never know what opportunities will show up.
1: I love that. I love those three words. You never know. Yeah, it's three. I can count. <laughs> I need those like on a poster <laughs> somewhere yeah. in my office. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Well, what you just said actually just made me think of, uh, we had Tamika Dixon on the show and, and she talked about, um, you know, growing up, she wanted to be the first woman in the NBA and it's not because she didn't want to play in the WNBA. It's because the WNBA didn't exist right. uh, for her. So she became the person that, um, the role model, I guess she never had because she was in the first WNBA draft. And so your story kind of reminds me of that in the sense of you didn't have anyone to follow necessarily in their footsteps. You kind of blazed the trail in the profession, um, which is really, really cool. So uh, if not for them.com, anything else exciting coming up, we should be keeping an eye on.
2: Well, here in Kansas City, um, the Big 12 Women's Basketball Championship is yeah. here again, and it's the last year it's going to be at Municipal Auditorium. Um, it will will move over to the T-Mobile Center. And so it's really important that we as Kansas City embrace that event and fill it up uh, because we want to continue to grow and then fill up the T-Mobile Center after that. But, you know, get the word out if you um, if you. Uh, are a fan of basketball at all some of the best teams in the country come here to kansas city and so uh tickets are going to go on sale i think at the beginning of november so be on the lookout for that because uh they're going to be in demand this year so make sure that you you get your hands on some tickets and yeah again check out if not for um we, if I could say, it's a nonprofit endeavor, and we're fundraising for it. We've raised enough money for the the interviews, uh, and now we have our next phase that we are raising funds for. So we're looking for individuals, foundations, uh, sponsors that are uh, interested in supporting women in sports. Um, And so they can just uh, contact me through our website or through social media, if not for them.com or just, if not for them all over social media, just contact me and I'd love to talk to you more about it. And there's just ways through the website to do it as well.
1: Yeah. Well, and these are stories that are, that need to be preserved now. Um, right. So, this is such an important project. Uh, and also, I didn't know that they were moving the Big 12 women's tournament. That's awesome. That's really cool that they're moving it over. Yeah, I, I love the municipal auditorium. Terms. But yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a municipal is great. Uh, yeah. But we want to continue to grow and showcase women's basketball here in Kansas City. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good opportunity to grab one of the seats this year for sure. And it's, it's going to be historic.
1: Yeah. Get on this quick. Brenda, thank you so much for your time. I always enjoy our chats and uh, good luck on the project. Oh, I forgot to ask, for folks who uh, are looking forward to watching this as much as I am, when can they expect to see it, the product?
2: We, uh, we, like I said, we haven't even finished doing all the interviews yet. That's our yeah. first priority. A lot of people that we're interviewing are in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. And so our first priority was to get the interviews completed. Uh, yeah. So now we will begin the, the editing and producing part of it. Uh, our hope is to have a, a preview of each of the ten episodes, uh, each of the ten episodes ready by uh the final four this year so we'll have a a sneak preview at the final four that's what we're working toward and then all 10 episodes uh my hope is that in 2024 we'll have that we don't know what distribution partner we're talking to several of them right now but it'll be out there and as long as you you know follow us on social media you'll know and i'm sure you'll have me back on the show by then too oh uh, one thousand percent
1: yeah, <laughs> 1,000%. By the way, I yeah. think I told you my last question like 10 minutes ago. Last question. <laughs> That's so, okay. Um, <laughs> well, That's well, again, we'll 100% talk to you on the show before then, but cannot wait for the project, them.com And yeah, I keep up with all the social pages and it's really cool to get updates and see where you guys are in terms of doing different interviews and stuff. So uh, follow those as well. Brenda, thank you so much
2: for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.